Hey there, internet friends. Welcome to That D Plus Show. Class is in session for the only show from that nerdy site that lets you know what kind of quality to expect right from the name. I'm your host, Trevor Starkey, and each week I sit down with a guest to talk about a Disney Plus offering, often of their choosing, but uh, as our series, our mini-series of That Hamilcast episodes continues on, I just keep bringing on more and more friends to sit down and talk about Hamilton because we're... About a month removed from it hitting Disney Plus now, and I'm still having a good time chatting f- with people. So, uh, joining me today, we have Jazz Foster to talk about Hamilton. How you doing, Jazz? I'm okay, Trev. How are you? Doing all right. Uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. We're both kind of just hanging in there in this weird COVID <laughs> world these days, but, you know, making making things work. So... Uh, best and, we can. And, yeah, best we can, and we are here to talk about some Hamilton today. So... Um, before we dive into some of that, uh, just a little housekeeping. This show is made possible entirely by the support of our patrons over at patreon.com slash that nerdy site. So if you like the show and you can support us over there, we would definitely appreciate it. But if you can't, no big deal. The fact that you're listening is awesome. And of course, we would love it if you like, subscribe, rate, review, share the podcast with your friends, all that fun stuff. So Jazz, uh, to kind of kick us off, Tell me a little bit, and I know some of this, you know, just because we've we've talked about it and stuff offline, but for our listeners, what is your history with Hamilton the Musical? Uh, yeah, so, Trevor, you and I are theater kids. Yep. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure who else you've had on this, I'll be honest. I know I work here, but like, <laughs> uh, I know good. Logan's been on it, and he's not a theater kid. Yeah, I'm very no. aware of that, living with him. Uh, so far, we have had uh, no other theater kids, I will say. It's, it, was, uh, oh, it was Logan, Cameron, excellent. Cameron Hawkins, Josh Brown, and uh, Joseph Moran are the five episodes that we've had as of this recording. Um, one of the ones that, is, that I've been like talking about and have had in the works for a while is uh, Belinda Garcia, but we haven't been able to make the, the schedules work there. So yeah, you are the first like other real theater person I've been able to have on this. Some, a lot of those people had actually never heard or seen or any of Hamilton <laughs> prior to coming into this cam and logan uh, i think were the were the two that like knew the show very intimately and had listened to it a lot but they'd never seen it but so yeah you are you are really the the first one to come on with kind of a a, a theater background and, and whatnot coming into the show this is gonna be a dorky podcast absolutely awesome. is <laughs> uh well obviously i'd heard of hamilton um I'd listened to the music voraciously when it came out and i still listen to it pretty often mm-hmm. um you and I have listened to Hamilton together. We have, um, yep. Extra Life 2017. It was, if I'm remembering correctly, you, me, Alex O'Neill, and Roger Picorni in the car. Yep. Going to the airport, singing Hamilton. Yep. Um, and it was one of the most fun parts of that trip, which was an excellent trip all around anyway. Yeah, it was uh, um, the the kind of the farewell for Roger and I was uh, you and uh, and Alex kind of drove. We, we dropped Roger off at the... Uh, the train station first, if mm-hmm. I recall, or train or bus station, whatever it was. And then, yeah, you guys took me to the airport and then just like... Like I don't know if it was you or Alex that was kind of like controlling the radio up front, but yeah, uh, yeah, we just kind of threw that on and randomly went through a few songs and just kind of like did sing-alongs and and belted stuff out together. <laughs> yeah, so so we've done this before a little bit, but yeah, I mean I'm I'm a big musical person, so I had to be a big Hamilton person when it came out, and I was, mm-hmm. um, and it was really really cool to be able to watch it. Uh, in my home, knowing that I would never, ever get to see it, um, certainly not on Broadway, but just generally. I mean, mm-hmm. so you, theater's an expensive hobby, and I don't have money. Very true. So you had not seen it um, like live in any kind of capacity? 
No, okay. no, sadly. No, that's. I mean, that's fair. Uh, and and like I so far, I think yeah, I think I'm the only one of any of the people on the show that had had seen it live prior to to this. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't make it out to Broadway to see it or anything like that. But it had come through on tour here in Arizona, and I told the story in one of the episodes. Um, they Arizona when they brought it through on tour like included it as part of their subscription season for a season of like Broadway tours coming through, um, which meant I was able to buy my Hamilton ticket along with like seven other shows for about $400 total to sit in like the mezzanine, like the, the lower balcony of the, the big gamage theater here in town. Um, which, which meant like my Hamilton ticket alone was like only 80 bucks or something like that compared to, the 400 I had seen when I looked at like, hey, maybe I'll go see it in San Francisco or something like that, or or L.A. or something. So yeah, it was a, it was a great deal, and it, I ended up like justifying that savings to buy like single tickets for like 200, 300 bucks like another night, um, just to <laughs> to enjoy it a second time while it was in town. Um, so I had seen it, yeah, I saw it twice here when it came through Phoenix, and. Uh, I think it's I it was I believe it was scheduled to like come back through as like a special engagement next year but obviously all of theater is kind of like up in turmoil right now so I think they've probably kicked that down the road but I will likely go see it again when it comes through um, town because it is an expensive hobby but it's one that I I tend to try and make time for for at least like the big shows I'm interested in seeing so um, uh, but yeah it was like even even so it was really great getting to see it here with the original cast um, kind of showcasing you know the talent that that won them so many tonys and all that fun stuff so um so yeah i i echo the sentiment of like even even if i hadn't been able to see it live this was this is something that had always been exciting and and i know enough musicals to know that especially the big ones like hamilton always had something like this in the works like this was always going to happen it was just a matter of time for like when it got released um Mm. and uh and so i was glad we got it sooner than later ultimately so so yeah so so you you knew the show you'd listened to it a lot um prior to this but you hadn't actually seen it so what was it like kind of the first time sitting down and watching it i mean it was a delight i i really love musical theater um i can't stress that enough i miss doing it i miss being a part of it and so being able to experience it is always like a lot of fun for me um it's interesting um because I did, I listened to the music a lot, like a lot, a lot. I knew all the songs. Um, and it's interesting what you miss when you just know the music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that happened to me definitely a lot, like as a theater kid, um, but even still as an adult. I mean, like I didn't see Grease until I was 18. I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember there were parts of it where I was like, Sandy's Australian? What? Like... <laughs> There's things you don't get when you just hear the music. You think you know the story, you don't. Yeah. Um, and there were pieces of that to Hamilton. And the most surprising thing for me was that Hamilton is actually kind of an opera. Yeah. Um, there is almost no talking. Yeah. So I kind of did know the whole story from the words anyway. Um, the physicality tells it completely differently. But like Hamilton's an opera. Yeah. The the album in particular has almost the entire show on it, which is one of the the you know unique things that you don't oftentimes get. I in in my whole like all the shows I've listened to over the years and all the cast albums and stuff, I have a cast album that was like the 25th anniversary of Les Mis. That is because Les Mis is pretty much the only other one I can think of that is like yep sung pretty much the whole way through. Um, and so yeah. I have that cast album that has 
start to finish, you know, um, from singing about two four six zero one to to the end of the the show, um, it's pretty much entirely sung through. And so Hamilton was like another one of those. Versus, you know, every, most other musicals, it's like oh, they have like twelve or thirteen songs throughout the two and a half hour runtime. But there is a lot of like scenes and dialogue in there to kind of like flesh out. And the singing is historically like those moments where characters are so overwhelmed with uh, emotion they can't express it through just the the you know the the um, aspect of talking they have to sing this out that's it's it's such a larger than life moment that it comes out via song um but yeah hamilton is is very much like nope it's sung pretty much the whole way through and there's really only a couple like elements that aren't on the album that you like that you might get surprised by if you don't know uh other you don't know otherwise one of them that we've talked about a few times on the show is is of course uh lauren's death is like the one number that's not on the album um mm-hmm. john yep. lauren's death um and then just yeah some of the some of the like the staging moments or uh or like you know brief little things like that here and there aren't necessarily captured in um in just the album so um was was that like uh, uh so obviously like realizing that you knew more of the show than you thought you did like knowing that did you think there was did you think this was like a four-hour show uh did you think like oh man they've got a lot of songs here <laughs> there must be still so much more that i'm not seeing or i didn't know i yeah, i i think maybe i didn't think about it uh-huh. um i felt like i was getting a pretty full picture um by listening to the album mm-hmm. um and I just assume there must be bits of it um, that we were missing. Uh, for me, the bits of it that we were missing were the, were the staging, um, yeah. were the performance of it. And that's obviously a huge part of musical theater is that like, no matter how many times you listen to the cast recording and you hear all the songs, you're never going to get the full emotion of a show without seeing it. Um, I think. Yeah. Anyway. And, there was so much added to the show by seeing it. Um, and I, I mentioned to you, I was taking notes throughout it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were like big pieces to it. Obviously like, um, Jonathan Groff's character acting is phenomenal in it. Yeah. Um, I'd be surprised if that hasn't been mentioned yet, but like the character of King George is so over the top and goofy. Like, the way he walks by crossing his legs over like little things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, but there were little details too. Yeah. One of the, um, one of the previous guests um, had done a little bit of like extra digging after seeing the show and, and just f- immediately falling in love with it. I think it was, it might've been Cameron Hawkins um, who came on and basically talked about, it. it was something I knew, but it was, it was fun that he'd brought to this to the table was that that, king george walk that happens is because the crown was so heavy on his head and he had to basically like keep everything balanced as he crossed down stage and that was like the way to make it work was <laughs> was he had to do kind of that weird like leg over leg kind of a uh, uh, cross down stage um so yeah it was it like fun little elements of like that that yeah you you don't get that at all if you're just hearing the the person singing it in a in a recording studio effectively yeah yeah, I um, uh, it's it's definitely something that uh, I I love people who know the show getting to see it for the first time because I had admittedly like I had spoiled a lot of that stuff for myself because I you know dug in and did all the research and and found like these moments that aren't in the show or I had done like the research into like cut songs and stuff so I I knew even more of like what wasn't there in the show, um and uh, and so yeah I I love 
people that didn't do all that extra stuff because they're not crazy people like me um, kind of getting exposed <laughs> to a lot of this stuff for the first time. And just like because, yeah, the I mean, other things I would do was I would seek out, um, you know, footage of the cast performing certain moments or something like that at, you know, Good Morning America or whatever. And I would just like watch YouTube playlists of like all of the songs I could track down. Um, not to mention my, uh, uh, my, my sister may or may not have provided me with like a bootleg DVD of the show. Like somebody, somebody <laughs> recording it from like the balcony or something, the original cast. Sure. So like I, I may or may not have, you know, depending on legality in your, your district, uh, had something like that, um, uh, had access to something like that. So, uh, there were definitely moments that even going into seeing it live the first time for me, I, I knew about, um, uh, but it was still like it's still fun, and and even seeing it here now, like in the in the you know privacy of my own home, like there are so many things that when I was three hundred yards away in the balcony, I couldn't see the emotions that were happening on people's faces, or I couldn't see little smaller like staging moments that are a lot more subtle. Um, but because the camera's right there, you've got like the best seat in the house in the, the Disney plus version, like there, there, I, I get to enjoy and see a lot more things, um, than, uh, than I did, you know, either through a, you know, alleged bootleg copy or through my own experience of seeing it live just because, Hey, yeah, I wasn't, I didn't pay the thousand dollars to sit front row or whatever. So, you know, I, I was never going to be able to see everything with that much granularity, but also just being able to sit down and watch it multiple times like oh i i can focus on other things you know like a lot of the background ensemble is fun to watch throughout the show um and they're not somebody i would have ever like paid attention to and focused on if i was you know paying 80 dollars or 300 dollars a seat to like go and see the show i'm, I'm there to um, I'm, my eyes can only go so many places, so I'm going to focus on like the main characters and the main action that is kind of happening. But there's a lot of really cool stuff that is just happening like under the surface, effectively throughout the show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we dive into uh, some of the other stuff, uh, just for those that are familiar with the uh, the layout of that D plus show, uh, normally we dive into a little bit of the history lesson as well as kind of the roll call of who's who in the film. Um, because I've done that. Uh, this is the sixth episode of the Hamilcast. We did that in like the first couple, and I don't really need to run through that same, you know, 10 minute spiel each time. So we're skipping over that. If you want to, you know, figure out who's who in this or, or listen to kind of the when it, when it came out and all that stuff, obviously it was a month ago. Um, but you can check out the, uh, the episodes with Logan or Cameron Abbott where, uh, where I dove into all of those things. Um, and then a little bit of trivia here. We'll pick one, one of these out. Um, here's one uh, we will dive into. Several roles are doubled between Acts 1 and 2. Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, John Lawrence, Philip Hamilton, Peggy Schuyler, Mariah Reynolds, Hercules Mulligan, James Madison, Philip Schuyler, um, James Reynolds. Uh, wait, is that right? Uh, oh, yeah, the, yeah the, the dad. No. No, that's... Mm-mm. No, no. Uh, well, wait, no. Take Philip Schuyler. Yeah, so Philip Schuyler, the dad of the Schuylers, and James Reynolds, the, the, basically the cuckold. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> So that is that is right. It's just some of the names, and it's not one I ever think about. But uh, when Ma- when Lin Manuel Miranda was asked on Twitter why Peggy Schuyler joined her sisters, um, saying "Me, I loved him" in the opening number, he said the actress was meant to be representing both Peggy and Mariah in that moment, and that so too did the other lines "We fought with him," which could refer to Jefferson and Madison who opposed Hamilton politically, or Lafayette and Mulligan who fought alongside him in the war, as well as "Me, I died for him," which is obviously sung by. Uh, 
both Philip Hamilton slash John Lawrence, who dies in both acts. Um, named roles for uh, other than the principal characters are played by chorus members who often return as soldiers, townspeople, courtiers, um, and or slaves, often with ironies such as the slave identified as Sally Hemings returning as the woman who has sex with Philip. Um, uh, so that's that's a, a like a trivia thing that we've touched on in in a number of the various other episodes. But I always love that like the double entendre that happens in that opening number, um, with the the characters kind of like leaning into both roles that they've played throughout. Um, another one that um, that isn't on my list here, but I'll uh, we've talked about it on a couple episodes that I want to know if you had seen or caught this jazz. Um, the mm-hmm. girl who plays the bullet. Um, she has a, and, and if you haven't caught it, it's something to like look out for next time you kind of watch through the show. She has a very interesting arc throughout the, the show. Um, uh, her, she is the first person to like, quote unquote, die in the show after the end of you'll be back. She's effectively shot as like being a traitor or treasonous or something like that. Like, um, King George finishes his number and then this, this girl dies. And from then on, she becomes an omen of death throughout the show. Uh, there's a moment when, Hamilton is writing. Um, uh, she kind of, you know, is a bullet or shoots a, a bullet that goes zipping by Hamilton's head. Uh, she kills somebody in the war with John Lawrence and then shakes his hand and he's the next one to die. Uh, and then in the second act when she is, uh, when when Philip um, Hamilton is looking for, like, um, George Eaker for the duel, she's the one that tells him where to go. And he's flirting with her, so there's the the added joke there of he's literally flirting with death. Um, uh, and then uh, and then yeah, obviously she is the bullet in the uh, in the final uh, duel between Burr and Hamilton. Um, so that's uh, just one of those like that's a really cool like, little through line for that ensemble chorus member if you kind of pay attention to them throughout the show. Um, and and that's one that I didn't know of until I saw somebody posting and sharing about it after this went live to everybody else and somebody kind of done that extra little level of analysis on her. So, um, yeah. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, so yeah, the, the, one of the questions that I, I kind of gave you, uh, beforehand is one of the questions we've been asking, obviously a lot of times on this show, uh, and like when you came on and talked about Percy Jackson, we talked about, Hey, does this movie hold up, um, compared to when it originally came out and with Hamilton, obviously it's a, it's a new release. So we're watching it, you know, as it's available to the public for the first time, but it's also recorded back in 2016, back around the time that Hamilton was blowing up around the world. Um, and obviously 2020 now is a very different political landscape. So the question we've been discussing a lot on these episodes is to you, um, given the context of all of the, you know, larger than life political conversations we're having, how does Hamilton, the musical hold up here in 2020? I think it holds up fairly well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it has some missteps, um, that I'll go into on the whole, I think it does a very good job of um, making some good political points, but delivering them well. Um, I remember the first thing I noticed, like immediately, um, the very be- like the intro um, scene or, or sequence or whatever. Uh, I realized that like, you know, the, the cast of Hamilton obviously is like 90% non-white. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of the point. Um, I didn't realize that. I knew that going in. But I realized that, like, it doesn't... It's it not like it was shocking. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, I didn't see it, and I was like, oh, that's... that's, Well, that's jarring. And then I was thinking about it. It was like, actually, it always looks weird 
when musicals go for the token inclusivity thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was thinking about, like, uh, I've watched a lot of videos of, like, the cast recording um, (laughs) Legally Blonde Mm -hmm. because I have uh, questionable taste in musicals. And (laughs) (laughs) that's a great musical, actually. I stand by that. Uh, But there's, like, one sorority sister Mm -hmm. that's black. Yeah. One of the yeah, and one of the chorus always, members. Yeah. And it looks so weird because she's very clearly the only person in the whole cast that's not white. Mm-hmm. And that stands out way more than having a cast that's mostly non white. Um so I think like obviously it was it was a hugely important thing to do at the time and it's still hugely important. Mm-hmm. Um but the most important thing about it to me is that it makes the emphasis that like that's not weird yeah. at all. Um and it shouldn't be treated like it should have been done long before this, but, like, it's not a strange thing to see. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this is a musical about politics, and I think that it does a pretty good job of displaying them. Um, and there are some moments in it that, like, we should perhaps be learning lessons from. Um, you know, there's... I definitely had notes about it. The song where Hamilton and Burr are both singing about how they're creating a new nation that their children can grow up in. Yeah. Um, and they don't agree on anything, but they both have the same ideals. Mm-hmm. That's a very relevant idea for today. And it's something we should be learning from and we're not. Um, I don't think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think on the whole, Hamilton does a very good job of being relevant and like woke. Maybe <laughs> yeah, uh, <okay>. my, <laughs> my issue with Hamilton um, that has stuck with me. Um, is that I think, and I know it's like, this is the easy argument for it to be like, well, it's a product of its, like, you know, it's set in the time period where this was whatever. Um, it's very sexist. Mm -hmm. It's very sexist. And not just like, you know, it it takes a little, it makes little jokes that like, you know, next time I see Jefferson, I'll tell him to put women in the sequel. And you're like, yeah, female empowerment. But Hamilton they're like he's a horn dog and that's fine you can be a ladies man but then he talks about deflowering the hot ones um and that's less fine yeah maybe um there's a lot of issues for me with the song say no to this where he keeps talking about how like oh she's so helpless and i couldn't help it like uh, that's like kind of the it's it's just all very questionable yeah. to me. Um, and then uh, you know Reynolds says something about his whore wife, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't like. Um, Jessica Cogswell, who is over at Uppercut, yeah. Um, she had a tweet that stuck with me um, last month, like right after this came out, mm-hmm. and I have it pulled up. She tweeted, "I had this thought while watching um, about Hamilton." Cutting out fuck but keeping horror feels like a truly wild choice to me. Um, yeah. And I could not agree more. Um, you know, and, and cutting out fuck is the issue of PG-13. Yeah. It's like, well, you can only swear one time, so you got to make it count. The Deadpool rule or whatever. Yeah. Um, but isn't that a bizarre rule? It's, I mean, that you know? like, yeah, that's, that is the sexist, like, backing of the MPAA, basically. Or, I mean, like, even... To to a lesser degree, and obviously not the point of of that that sentiment or Jess's tweet, but like the idea that like historically violence is is perfectly fine in a PG thirteen movie, but if you say mm-hmm. fuck twice, oh nope, that means rated R, boom, you're done. Sure, uh, is is laughable. Like our America's, I mean, and it goes 
to you know the the gun debate and all that stuff like america's relationship with violence far um is is far more acceptable and accepted in society than america's relationship with sex um or or yeah gender issues there um Mm -hmm. and 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 so much like i remember studying in in high school and college and stuff and so much that like goes back to our very puritanical roots and stuff is is that we're like we're a very repressed society um compared to i remember going to um england for the first time after i graduated high school and just like on regular tv they were just like music videos and stuff with women with their tits out and, and stuff like that. It was just like, oh, that's this is <laughs> jarring to just be able to, like, turn this on and, and it's there for anybody to see. Or, or you know, ads on bus stations that, that were, you know, featuring topless women or something like that. It was just like, oh, th- there's a different relationship to sex over here in Europe compared to where I had, you know, completely grown up and stuff. So, yeah, that's and, – and, and even that is something that, like, I – absolutely like through my own stupid you know male lens don't even think about whore in that like as as denigrating as it clearly is um and uh it's it is something that i absolutely take for granted versus you know fuck not being in the in the show more than kind of once i guess because even there like the, the it's in the show sort of three times but it gets edited or cut off every time so it's like they didn't even use the one that they had really. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that, that is absolutely a, a solid point is that the, the just inherent misogyny behind, you know, that being in there um, is, is unfortunate. And, and, uh, and thank you to, to you and, and via you, ja- uh, Jess for, uh, for kind of highlighting that and, and bringing like my, my awareness to like, yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. That's totally fucked up. What the crap, Lynn, sure, Mel- yeah. Lynn, Manuel Miranda. Uh, and it is, uh, it's, it's interesting we talked about it in one of the other episodes. Um, the I like, because like I look at the show and I'm like, obviously, yeah, for the time and, and founding fathers and stuff, just it doesn't have many women in it. Um, but the the women that it does have, especially in Eliza and Angelica, at least, are you know very strong, powerful women that aren't afraid to say what they think to you know the men of power in in this world. Um, Mariah definitely gets the short end of the stick there slash and peggy mm-hmm. um and it, it it's interesting because say no to this is one of the songs that um we talked about in another episode that like even when i would listen to the show like i pretty much always skip over say no to this and it's for a myriad of reasons one of which is like i just don't necessarily enjoy the song's elements to it um although i do love that it ends i don't know if you've listened to or heard the the show the last five years um but it ends with a direct pull from that show um uh, which you, as like the other musical theater person, are like the first person that I know that might have that might get that reference, <laughs> might have gotten that reference. Did you know it? Yes. Yeah. I did. Okay. Excellent. Haha. Which again, like even <laughs> even that is like the song that it's pulling from. Last five years is another show that like when I I have a different relation to it now in the in you know in my mid thirties than I did ten fifteen years ago when I first heard it in college and stuff was like. Yeah, like Jamie is a starving ar- is is an artist who's you know succeeding, uh, or and and Kathy is you know constantly you know being a shrill shrew to him or whatever. And it's, and it's like no, that's no like Jamie is absolutely like the worst of those two characters in that show. Oh yeah, Jamie's Jamie was always and, the bad and, guy in that. Yeah, show. exactly. But like I be in part maybe because like oh that's the role I can see myself playing, so I want to you know humanize and empathize with him or whatever. And and yeah. you know um, him 
sleeping out with 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 the other with the other woman in nobody needs to know is is like oh that's you know that's that's a flaw in his character but you know it just it just shows an extra layer to him or something and it's like no he's absolutely being an asshole and and not a great partner to his wife um and that's and there's no excuse for that um and and like reading into and finding out a little bit more about like Jason Robert Brown and stuff and and just kind of like a lot of his stuff and how semi-autobiographical that show is it's like oh yeah there's there's a lot there that i look at now differently um as i've thankfully hopefully grown up and matured a little bit compared to when i was just like oh man these songs are so good and i would love to play that role or whatever um uh but yeah like nobody needs to know is one of those songs that i would sing endlessly so when like it comes up at the end of say no to this uh, like the first time i heard that i was like did did he just I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that was a deliberate choice. Uh, that was really cool, and I really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've talked about like I don't get I, I didn't get a lot of the like the hip hop references throughout the show, but I got a lot of the theater ones, and that was like first and foremost. Um, I was like, yeah, that's that's Jason Robert Brown, and especially because yeah. like I look at Jason Robert Brown and, and the last five years as like like you have to, like he's not like top tier you, like the he's not the most superficial of broadway shows so like you have to really know theater to know the shows that he's done um compared to like oh it's a andrew lloyd webber show or it's wicked or something like that like sure he's not the he, the biggest name yeah um uh so yeah but but even so like say no to this yeah i'm just kind of like part of it is i just don't like the the song as a whole really but then we talked about examining like oh and it's it's also because that's the moment that hamilton does that same jamie thing and i don't want to i don't want to like i want hamilton to be a better man than he is uh basically and that exposes him for the shitbag that he you know also was kind of thing or his his problems um in uh with infidelity and stuff and it's like if it's the, it's the dumbest you know oh if i don't listen to that song he's a little bit you know of a better guy in my eyes or something like that is is probably what's subconsciously happening in my mind but i can still recognize sure. like hey nope it's like no he's he's like what i love about the show is that pretty much all these characters are shades of gray like nobody is it it tries to pull them down off the pedestals that like we so often mythologize them as um and basically say like hey all these all these people had their problems that doesn't mean they didn't do these great things it just means like here's a clearer picture here's a fuller picture of these people um and uh because i mean like going into this i had never like hamilton was very much like an afterthought in terms of like the founding fathers. I didn't know much about his life, but I definitely didn't know that he was like part of this big sex scandal. Um, and that kind of ruined his political career. And that like, cause those are the things you don't really get into when you're learning about American history in like 11th grade or something in America. Again, Mm. cause sex, no, we can't tell the kids of the sex. Um, so that stuff gets conveniently left out of the history books and stuff. So yeah. Um, but I, I fully appreciate kind of the like, resistance to say no to this and and how it is like a troubling song um yeah any other elements um kind of uh either related to the the misogyny of the show or um or whatnot as and as you kind of pointed out like or as we both kind of touched on i think like it is that weird like yeah it's a product of his time so you don't have 
a, a myriad of like other strong female characters to include in this, um, which do, is is unfortunate because it still very much ends up being another problem that a lot of Broadway shows have, where it's like very male heavy, male dominated cast, um, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. Uh, yeah. Um, I just had this as a note about say no to this also because it's the only thing that Mariah's in. Mm-hmm. Um, she's wearing red, which is obviously like supposed to be like the color of the seductress or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I found it interesting that it was also a direct parallel to Angelica because in the first um, like half of the show, mm-hmm. all the sisters are color blocked, um, and Angelica's red, Peggy's yellow, and um, Eliza is like green blue. Yep. Uh, and that kind of progresses as it goes, and Eliza becomes more blue, um, and Angelica gets, like, more bronzy almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but Mariah wearing red is the parallel to Angelica wearing red yeah. in the beginning. Um, because uh, Hamilton always wanted to fuck his sister-in-law, um, which kind of leads into this point, and I'm so glad you brought up that Hamilton is, like, it's all shades of gray, but Alexander Hamilton's maybe not a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um Because he's not. Yeah. And we all, I think, you know, it's good that there were no punches pulled and that, like, we're given an, a fairly honest reenactment um, of of history in that it doesn't shy away from the dark parts of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but Hamilton is like, he's not a good guy at all. Yeah. Um, the- and seeing the staging drives that home for you more than just listening to the songs. But like, you see like the detachment in him almost. Like, I've written down like when he is singing, um, he's deciding to write the Reynolds pamphlet and he says something about yeah I wrote Eliza love letters until she fell and he has like no emotion about that because he didn't need her he just wanted her to fall like he didn't need it to be her it was a whole like I don't know Hamilton's just not a good dude Mm -hmm. um and that's I think hammered in I think part of the sexism that he displays like hammers that in more because you have some other characters that like kind of brag about their conquests. Yeah. And that's it, like, I wouldn't ever call it cute per se. Even, but, like, even he's one. They do, it, they do it better than him though. Like Hercules Mulligan, like kind of jokes about it, about like four sets of course. Your sisters and your, yeah, there you go. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's like a very bro like a frat bro thing. And like, uh, Hamilton's son does it at the end. Um, Talking about, like, his smarts aren't the only thing that compares to his dad. Yeah. Um, but neither of them go so far as to, like, really degrade women in the way they do it. And Hamilton does. Yeah. Um, and that draws the line for, like, where he is. He's he's a worse person than them. Um, he's a worse person than a lot of the people in the show, despite all the good things he accomplishes. Um, yeah. And then they, they definitely try and, like... I mean, they they introduce the idea as a joke in the the you know uh, Martha Washington named their feral tomcat after him, um, uh, and and so yeah, like that like that is the first introduction we get to the idea that Hamilton is a player in that age or whatever um, before he settles down uh, there in I want to say that's in a winter's ball, um, and and there are uh, one of the things we've touched on a couple times is is the the dramatization of a lot of the show it's it's not you know a, a one for one kind of um faithful re- retelling um there's in Ron Chernow's book there's like maybe hints that there was like a flirtation going on between Hamilton and Angelica but realistically Angelica was married when they met um so it was it, it was never necessarily like on the table that 
like the the love triangle aspect is much more a product of like more interesting and compelling theater than it was necessarily like supported in history but it is pulling in elements of hamilton to yeah he he because mariah reynolds probably wasn't the only affair that he had extramaritally and, and that kind of stuff so um it is pulling in elements of that and and condensing it and combining it into characters and so um the idea of angelica being like the mental match for him um versus uh eliza being like the emotional match and support that he needs um mm-hmm. is is i think lin-manuel Miranda basically saying like here's here's an interesting like level to play with some of these characters to give them a little bit more to do throughout the to give them like another subplot to kind of explore uh and also helps set up you know uh, the the dichotomy of angelica's approach to things and eliza's approach to things and how hamilton will interact with both of them one of my favorite staging moments in the show comes in i think it's in nonstop where um like yeah it's the end of act one where uh hamilton is basically being asked to to go lead the country or whatever angelica walks down stage with him to say hey i'm going off to i'm going off to london um uh, and they kind of like they part and the turntable moves Angelica away. Hamilton just kind of stands there and it moves Eliza right into like his uh, into his view. And she just and they like they basically meet up and kind of head the other way. It's it's this weird like Hamilton doesn't even have to move. And the women in his life just kind of like replace one another. Um, yes, and, yes. And uh, and it, it's uh, just a, a great use of the turntable to kind of subtly, you know, plant those seeds of, of how reliant he is upon them for, you know, those kinds of different aspects of their lives. Um, and he doesn't get them all from one person, I guess. Sure. Um, cool. So let's, let's dive away into, uh, into just kind of what, like, especially as somebody who, you know, knew the show uh, very intimately like you did and, and has kind of a, a love and, and background in theater. What are some of your favorite moments from, from the show? Favorite moments, favorite scenes, favorite characters, favorite staging elements, any of that kind of stuff? Oh, man. Um, characters, I love the women in the show. Um, my favorite songs from the show are the women's songs. Mm-hmm. Um, Satisfied and Burn have always been, like, two of my favorites. And sat- seeing Satisfied took my breath away. Yeah. Um, it was so, so, so well done. And the lighting was perfect. And the whole beginning of it where it, like, transitions into her memory was just, like, so flawless. Yeah, that's um, that's always one that is, is it's, like, you get, at least I got when I was just listening to it, um, the, the whole sequence of Winter's Ball into uh, Helpless into Satisfied. I got that when we're when we're seeing satisfied, like they have the whole like rewind, rewind. And so I was like, Oh, okay. We're probably now seeing things from Angelica's perspective. And there are a couple like verbal cues that kind of echo like, Oh yep. Now we're seeing the other side of the conversation, but the way they like handle the staging is still something that's like, you have to see it to believe how well they execute on it, I think. And it's, it's one of the absolute joys of like, even if you know the show really, really well, like seeing that is, is, on a different level it takes the show to a different level the way they kind of made all that work yeah it's incredible um i also love madison and jefferson um and then by the same token lafayette and hercules mulligan Mm -hmm. um 
they Jefferson and Madison particularly like their interactions are so perfect. I didn't realize from the songs too that Jefferson has so much personality. Mm-hmm. Um, he was such a delight to watch like prance around the stage, like just high kneeing everywhere. Um, and those two men are also so talented and so handsome. I know the internet has been on fire for David Diggs, and he is <laughs> a very good-looking man. But oh my God, the dude that plays Madison! Wow. Yeah, Oak. Uh, yeah, he is fine. Uh, so that was a pleasant surprise for me. There's uh, uh, um, given that uh, I don't know if you have sought out any. So the for. For a lot of Broadway shows, they'll do like, oh, we're going to give away, like, we're going to do a lottery. We're going to hold a lottery and people can get a chance to win very cheap, like, front row seats. Um, you just have to show up a couple hours before the show. Hamilton sure. did that and they, they said they they had such, like, demand that they wanted to, even if people didn't walk away with tickets to the show, they wanted to give them something because so many people were showing up for that. So they started doing what, uh, what they called the ham for ham um, kind of performance where a couple yeah. of hours before they would do, you know, random... Random little things. And there are a couple that I had not seen um, until going back and, like, digging uh, a lot of them up here in the last month or so. But there are a couple with um, with Oak, who plays Madison and Hercules Mulligan. Um, and, like, one of the first ones he did was he, in the voice of Mickey Mouse, sang Wicked from, uh, from or, or Defying Gravity from Wicked. And Incredible. and then they had like a follow up sequel to that where he does um, Maureen's like performance from Rent um, again oh ag- again in a Mickey Mouse voice um, <laughs> that uh, that just like it's a it's the, both of them are very fun to watch so uh, so if you're a fan of Oak I, I certainly recommend uh, checking those out I'll I can I can track down the links and uh, and send them to you after the the show and yep. and I'll put Please them in uh, I'll put them in the the show notes for this episode as well perfect um, I also uh, realized that I love the song wait for it and I did not put enough stock into it before I saw the show mm, okay like before I watched it mm-hmm. um, I couldn't tell you why I like it's very catchy. It's a good song, but it just never really clicked with me. And watching it performed um, was phenomenal. I mean, that whole sequence is really, really well done. But like watching the emotion that he pours into that, yeah. Um, and that's another big part of like seeing a show live or or being able to see it, you know, filmed back. Um, there's so much emotion that you don't get in a recording because you're not like performing for an audience and. And it's not as in the moment. Yeah, I mean, um, even if you're seeing it live, it's it's really hard to see like the detail of somebody's face. Like you're you're seeing like the the blocking of it, but you can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I couldn't see the actors' faces when I was watching it. You know, um, when when I saw it live. So it, that's another sure. element that is like the benefit of seeing it with the cameras there recording their their performance. Either because uh, this was basically. They recorded a couple of of like live performances, and that's why you get like some audience reaction. But they also recorded this like in between, um, like the the Sunday performance and their Tuesday performance. So they took like Sunday evening, all of all day Monday, and then like Tuesday before they brought the show back um, to do like pickups and and kind of close up shots and stuff like that. And and wait for it in particular has a lot of those where it's like there's probably no audience there for a lot of his, his moments. And they're kind of like feeding that in from other performances, but um, the getting to be there, like right on stage with him for, for a lot of that stuff, you get to see Leslie Odom Jr. In a, in a way that, you know, most people wouldn't have gotten to see. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, wait for it has, has 
from very early on been one of my very favorite songs from it. So um, I, I love hearing like, oh, yeah, I didn't really like it, but it really, you know, it really spoke to me this time around. That's a, that's a cool little change, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Any other? Um, oh, uh, Burn. I mentioned Burn's like one of my favorite songs from the show. Mm-hmm. And it is so well done. And you do get so up close and personal watching Eliza um, stay so strong as she's breaking down. Um, but that one is incredible. Uh, I love that she actually sets the letter on fire. Um, and I was reading something about like they use special like flame paper that like will only burn for two minutes. So it would burn for the length of the song, but then go out. So they didn't have to worry about mm-hmm. setting anything on fire. Um, yeah, and it's little little elements like that really like you know make the show. Yeah, there's a um, uh, in, so I have the the book um, Hamilton the Revolution, which is uh, it's a it's a book I often reference on on these shows. Uh, and it's basically like part behind the scenes, like the making of, and you know costume designer kind of coming in and talking about his decisions, scenic designer talking about and props and, and all that stuff. And then it's like the other part is like the it's the liner notes that Lynn put together and has like little footnotes on on like little references and stuff and in there they talk about um the like some of the props decisions and and for burn um i think there's there like there's backup matches in there for if like the fire if the flame went out while she's walking out on stage or something so she can like get it going again uh as well as um fire on stage is is like one of the big like osha like you have to have a whole bunch of other <laughs> regulations going on and i know this from uh-huh. when i did shows that had fire on stage like mm-hmm. per osha regulations and standards like if there is a flame on stage you have to have somebody on both sides of the the house with a fire extinguisher in hand as, as while that is going on um and you have to have basically like a way somewhere nearby on stage to put it out and i believe that like what they had is, I think, in the lantern, there's basically like um, like a pile of sand that can basically be like grabbed and dumped on the on the flame if they need it or something like that. So, uh, and and in the bucket, um, I think there's like a, maybe a, a hidden compartment that you know could be opened and and would just dump sand on there to uh, to put the the flame out. So, like I. I, I love that like that's an element that you like were drawn to because I, I whenever I see that I'm like oh I know there's a whole bunch of stuff that nobody's ever going to see there's there's an iceberg oh, below sure. the tip of this iceberg right here um, that mm-hmm. that in order to you know meet meet standards and, and guidelines and stuff there's a whole bunch of other stuff happening right there um, any other uh, moments there or any other characters that really jumped out at you as like oh they translated so differently in uh in like seeing them on stage um i would say like the camaraderie between hamilton and lorenz and um lafayette and mulligan mm-hmm. is so dynamic um being able to watch it and the first thing i thought you know like they meet up the hamilton meets them all and they're drinking and they they have their refrain of like you know the story of tonight and all this stuff And I was so struck, so I was like, I have served those dudes before. (laughs) Like, I've, you know, I've seen a lot of bartending, like, I've served that, like, once a week I used to see guys like that who were just, like, going out to have a good time, not for a long time, whatever. And and it was so real, and it translated so well, like, to modern days where it's like, it was just some bros trying to to live their best lives as they were, like, a little frat. Mm -hmm. Um and it was so perfect. They interacted so well, and they were so goofy, and it was just so perfect. Um, and, and you know, I keep coming back to physicality, but it matters so much in performance, and it's all the stuff you don't see. And, like, uh, I was, I remember being struck by um, watching Jonathan Groff as the king 
in the first the first time he comes out, I think. Yep. Um, and he's like drooling and spitting oh, on yeah. himself as he sings. Mm-hmm. That is so hard to do. It's like it sounds it sounds easy because you're like, yeah, you're just like drooling. No, because the urge to wipe your face. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. So difficult to commit to that. And he was so all in with just looking like an absolute frothing lunatic. Yeah, well, he, yeah, he um, talks about like he's just always been a very wet performer. <laughs> um, uh, he's always just so in it. And yeah, the, the spit in saliva is going out. And yeah, that was one of the things we talked about, uh, I think, in, in like the first episode with Logan that like jumped out at me is like any other version of this. They would like do another take where. You know that doesn't happen, and it would be like a cleaner yeah. look and whatnot. And yeah, that might be the the experience that like the audience was getting is him just frothing at the mouth, and and uh, and they've talked about like yeah, uh, uh, Lack- Alex Lacamoire, who's the uh, the conductor and uh, and the music mm-hmm. composer. Like he jokes about yeah, he he constantly got rained on throughout the show because of Jonathan Groff just <laughs> being a very spitty kind of performer. Um, but yeah, absolutely the the like the I mean the the. The immediate impulse is to would be to like wipe that off so you're you know you're looking good and, and whatnot, but it plays into King George's madness that he doesn't and that it, it just kind of goes along with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick, back on story of tonight, I, a couple things that I I love about that number, um, or, or just kind of that the the quartet there of, of gentlemen. Um, one is one of the things I never caught just listening to the show that I have like a so much more appreciation to um, watching it is how they trade off, like who's keeping the beat and who's doing like the, the, the beatboxing and stuff. Um, like, like I, I guess listening to it for the first time, I just figured it was like, Oh, chorus ensemble or somebody behind them. But it's the, like, it's, you know, Mulligan is doing it, but then when Mulligan does his verse, you know, Lawrence takes over or something like that. And they, like, they just have that great repertoire um, uh, that, uh, that they they work off of, and then um, kind of in a meta sentiment of it, um, Leslie Odom Jr. talks often about seeing uh, an early workshop of Hamilton um, before he was ever cast in it. Um, he talks about how like he he got like the last seat and he was excited to see it, and he talks about that moment seeing four men of color together on stage. He talks about that being like the revolution and what what was unique and special about Hamilton. Like, yeah, everything else like that it does is really cool. But for him as a, as a black man seeing, you know, other seeing, seeing four men singing about camaraderie and and togetherness being men of color was a very like moving and powerful experience for him that, you know, he just relishes now getting to be a part of that. Sure. And it it is, you know, going back to it, it's a huge deal that shouldn't be a huge deal. Mm -hmm. Um, and we see it, we've been seeing it more and more because we've been seeing so many firsts and it's hard to find the line between like being celebratory for these things happening and also being like, it's 2020. Why is this a first? Yeah. Um, but it is so refreshing to see. Um, it's so nice and it is so normal. Mm -hmm. Like it, it should be normal. It doesn't look bizarre or unnatural. It just looks like the world we live in. And I don't think, I don't know. I think it's great, and I, the cast was outstanding. Yeah. So how could you ever complain because the talent is so incredible that like it shouldn't matter what they look like. Agreed. Yeah, and it's it, one of the things I I talk about a lot um, is that as somebody who like studied theater and, and performed for many many years and stuff, um, like the arts in general have so especially Western media, um, so theater, film, TV, all that stuff 
uh, even literature, has been so heavily dominated by white men's stories that mm-hmm. um, that it's it's great that we live in a time where that's finally breaking down and we're getting to see so many more other stories. And even this is, you know, it, at its core, it's a story of a bunch of white men, you know, leading the country or whatever at the beginning. But the fact that they're telling it through the lens, as, as Lynn will talk, like talks about the show, it's the story of America then told through the lens of America now. Um, yeah. As, as like, it's absolutely a powerful experience to see that. And, you know, it, uh, I, I talk about, Hey, yeah. When, like when they open the, the rights up to this um, at high schools, there will absolutely like Saguaro high school that I grew up and went to, that was probably like 90% plus white um, is absolutely mm-hmm. going to do the show someday. And they're not going to have, a very you know ethnically diverse cast to do it, so there's still there's going to be a lot more white people in the show when they do it compared to you know what um, other schools would do. But the fact that um, you know uh, very predominantly uh, schools of uh, with people of color uh, will be able to also do the show is um, uh, is just a really cool other element that um, that I think is is going to be really great. And the fact that like kids, especially because they put this on Disney Plus. The fact that kids are growing up now with this in the same way that I grew up with, like, Aladdin or Little Mermaid or something like that. And and this is the show that they're going to, you know, have their kids or have their parents play on repeat for them. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there was a, a video that went viral with this little girl of um, uh, Asian, maybe Korean kind of uh, uh, descent um, that saw Philippa Sue out there as Eliza and was like, that's me. That's me. Um, and it was, mm-hmm. you know, just a very heartwarming kind of like, yeah, seeing yourself on stage matters, seeing yourself um, in, in the episode with uh, Joseph Moran last week. Um, he's part, I believe, part Puerto Rican is what we talked about. Um, and he talked about seeing himself up on stage and how powerful of an experience that was, even though he's not like a theater person or anything like that. It was like he said, the if he had seen more of that kind of stuff, he might have been more into theater growing up. But you know, predominantly it's like, oh, yep, here's a bunch of white guys playing Jersey Boys or something like that. Or here's, you know, the, the almost all-white cast of Mamma Mia um, for the, you, you know. You picked the whitest musical, by the way. Jersey Boys could not be white. Exactly, right? I, and that, I mean, like, I yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I it was deliberate. Um, <laughs> uh, and I also specifically picked, uh, not that I think Joey Noel listens to the show, but I picked two of Joey Noel's favorite shows um, in, hey. in Jersey Boys and Mamma Mia. Um but yeah, it's 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 definitely like that is uh, it, it shouldn't be a thing. But so often um, bringing in people of color into their shows, it's like, oh, OK, yeah, if we want to if we want to do, you know, people of color on Broadway this year, it's because they're doing a revival of the color purple or something like that. It's it's sure. And, and Once it, on the island made a comeback. Exactly. Yeah. Um, versus now this is going to hopefully open up casting and realize like like to to one of the points you brought up earlier of like like people of color in in shows historically like so much of classic broadway and you know the the big broadway canon that often gets brought back for revivals or is often done in community theaters or something like that is stuff like south pacific or the king and i or whatever and those representations are from such a different time and are so racist especially through like the lens of today oh, God, yeah. that they are so troublesome Miss Saigon's to another big yeah, one yeah to to perform and not address those those elements head on like i remember seeing a production of anything goes 
I don't know, five or six, yeah, probably like 10 years ago now or something like that at, at um, Phoenix <laughs> Theater here in town. And it was a show like I didn't know, but like uh, like I knew a lot of the songs and stuff. And watching that show and just like the very racist caricatures of, uh, I want to say, I think that one has Asian, like has a very Asian stereotypical character um, was just like, oh, this like this is not this is not good. Um, and so often like the the unfortunate truth is like to get good representation of those characters. It is like, Oh, well that that's what the show is about instead of just like, Hey, no, this is just another character in a story and it's not like a white or black story, but so often like the really good black roles are in stuff like the Scottsboro boys or something like that. And it's, it's Mm -hmm. because they're trying to tell a very black centric story. Um, And it's, it's yeah. My, like one of my biggest hopes is that this show does kind of like break down some of those those walls and and especially in lieu of like black lives matter and and just the the ra- systemic racism conversations in America there've been a lot of things going around in the theater community talking about like yeah we haven't been great we we need to all be better about this um uh and and I'm hopeful that you know that that messaging sticks and and kind of breaks through uh and we get to see kind of just colorblind or color conscious casting um in, in a way that yeah. we haven't necessarily in the past yeah i mean i choose to hope that broadway is uh hurtling towards a renaissance especially with the popularity of hamilton and with the proof that you can have you know a, a show that sweeps the world not just the nation um that isn't led by a white cast mm-hmm. um because broadway has a lot of issues and i i love musical theater i know you do too and you want to support the things you love but it is so inaccessible to anyone that's not wealthy and anyone that's not white and upper middle class and and it there is no representation um and and i hope that we're with the putting hamilton on disney plus i hope that we're going to see it become more accessible to people who don't necessarily have the funds to go to live shows um and I hope that we're going to see not only more diversity in casting, but like just in the shows that we get to experience and that people are writing, um, and, you know, in between turning subpar movies into decent musicals, I hope we get some really good <laughs> yeah. original stuff. Looking at you, bring it on. Um, Br- uh, bring it on. Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote, wrote some of the music for bring it on. That doesn't make it. Good. I mean, no, um, I mean, no, it doesn't. But like, I mean, like you did point out like legally blonde, has some really good stuff in it. So like, but yes, Le- that is Legally Blonde is very that good. Is, that music is. I'll die on that. Yeah, that, is, that music is fantastic. But that is. I, I was going to bring that up. Of like, there, it, it's it's the world of two Broadways or whatever. Because yeah, like Broadway can have this you know phenomenal breakout hit like uh, like Hamilton here. Um, but so much of Broadway in recent years has been. Uh, just like you know, the movie industry has been like, let's remake things that people know. Let's 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 put Rocky on stage, or let's put you know Billy Elliot on stage, or something bad. like that. Um, sure. Uh, and and so it's like, uh, I mean, what the 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 Tony Award winner for, I think last year was Tootsie or something like that. Um, I th- mm. Right? Is that is that the, the Dustin Hoffman like movie that where he? Yeah, I, yeah, it sounds familiar enough. I think you're right in that. Yeah, and it's like, yep, that's. So like, but at the same time, they tell, you know, interesting and compelling stories like Fun Home about, you know, uh, uh, Alison, Al- yeah, Alison Bechtel, um, kind of her, mm-hmm. her upbringing as 
coming to terms with her sexuality with her father's sexuality and and uh and and growing up in a funeral home kind of thing and and it's like there are when broadway takes risks i'm very excited for broadway and then when they don't i'm like but at the same time like once is one of my very favorite shows in recent years uh, of anything and that's based off of you know an, an indie film so um sure yeah it's it's falling slowly right? it, exactly yeah. yeah um so it's like it, it comes and goes on like what is really great but yeah to to your point like i'm i absolutely uh, echo a lot of like calls for uh that i've seen kind of coming out of this is like every Broadway show should have some kind of like filmed version that is made public to the people. Um, and a lot of them do a lot of the big ones especially do. Um, and, and yeah, my hope would absolutely be that like the, the Broadway producers see the success that something like Hamilton has and just even look at it as like, Hey, we can put that, like we can, we can record it and we can sell it off to a, a streaming service and make more money on the show that way. And because it, it's not like in the grand scheme of things, it's really not going to impact Broadway sales because the people that are going to go to see a show on Broadway, or the people that are going to go see a tour of the show or something, 99% of them are going to go see it because they love that live experience of theater. It's They're not going to oh, not yeah. see it because there's a, a, you know, an option available at home or something like that. We, we did Les Mis um, the year after it, the film version had come out um, at, at Phoenix Theater. And still, we're selling out pretty much every night of the run of that show because people wanted to see what that looks like live. They wanted to see kind of the spectacle in person of it. It's it's the same reason like, hey, yeah, musicians can sell their album and still have concerts and people show up. <laughs> like the, yeah. the, the draw of a live performance doesn't get, you know, removed because you can, you know, see it in, in the comfort of your home. It, if anything, it's going to open up more eyes. The fact that more people... Uh, probably saw Hamilton Fourth of July weekend, then had seen it in the entirety of its previous five years of running, um, just because of like the accessibility of it is is staggering because of you know really realizing that hey yeah they can probably only fit on Broadway they can only fit like a thousand people in a in a house a night kind of thing so you're limited to you know what ten thousand people a week maybe um, so you do that you know 52 weeks times five years or whatever and you're you're nowhere near the millions of people that had disney plus as a subscription mm-hmm. um that were looking for something to to do and had heard the buzz of it and all that stuff so yeah sure i think you've hit on a huge point here too where it's like you're you're not going to convince people who aren't into musical theater to go see a show but you might convince them to watch it at home or to see a movie um yeah and that's why i was so thrilled when hamilton came out on disney plus Conversely, it's why I was so goddamn angry that they made Cats a movie. <laughs> Thank you. Know? Yeah. yeah. Did you – maybe – I don't know if you relate to this. But, like, I heard that come out and I was like, you're making us look bad. Like, <laughs> people are already like, God, theater kids are so fucking weird. And we are. But, like, there are so many good musicals. And they were like, what's the next What's the next movie musical now? You know, like, we did Chicago. We did Rent. Got some bangers. What's next? Cats. Nobody like nobody likes cats. Nobody likes cats. Cats and it I, I, just blew me out of the water that they were like, "Let's do cats." I Fuck. yeah, I loathe cats. I hate it with a passion. It is the yeah, worst. Is one of the worst shows I've ever seen. Second only to maybe 
Starlight Express, which is another Andrew Lloyd Webber show. Oh my god, I'm so glad. I was going to bring that up if you didn't. <laughs> like, uh, that was one of the very first shows I ever saw live at Gamage here in town, which is the big, like, Broadway you producing house. Live? Yeah, they did a tour of it back when oh. I was in college, I think. Like, my I'm first so or second jealous. year of college. And I, like, I watched it and I was just like, so it's the little engine that could, but with songs, and they're just all on roller skates. Would you call it a train wreck? Uh, absolutely. And I'm pretty sure every review of that show calls it a train wreck at some point because it's the pun that's too easy to miss. Um, yeah. It's just a very horny version of Thomas the Tank. Exactly, yeah. It's, and um, it's just, which I, yeah. It's real bad. But Cats is... A lot, ter- lot of drugs went into Cats that. is terrible, but, like, I... Because, of, because I studied theater, because I love these kinds of, like, analysis things, I'm like, why... Why was Cats so successful? Why why did it work? And, you know, part of it is just the the craziness of the 80s, absolutely. But it's also, uh-huh. like, and, and it's something I didn't consider until, like, somebody else kind of pointed out. Like, Cats thrived on New York's tourism. Because anybody from any part of the world could go and see Cats and see the spectacle of the show. They didn't need to know what the hell was going on because even if you speak English, you don't know what the hell's going on in that show. It's no, just no, a bunch of a random T.S. Eliot's uh, T.S. Eliot poems thrown together. <laughs> There's no there yes. is no plot. Um, and so like it got by on on spectacle alone and because it was it was a show that didn't rely on like the the you know barriers of of understanding the language conversely like hamilton probably a significantly tougher sell to uh, a non-speak non-english speaking you know audience or something like that because it's it's so dense with the language um and one of the things that even um uh, that came out so originally the show was uh hamilton was going to be released theatrically next year and that Mm -hmm. uh the fact that they pushed it up to fourth of july this year meant that they that they weren't able to do all of the like subtitle translations for other languages that they wanted to have for it ready to go. So those are eventually going to get rolled out into Disney plus and, and you will be able to see kind of like other versions of, of the show and other and translations and stuff. But that's, that's definitely one of the things that they've had to be incredibly like, you know, um, uh, kind of uh, sensitive to and thinking about is taking that show to other languages because, the, uh, I mean, one of the things that um, that Logan and I have touched on, I think, uh, either off air or, or might have been on here, is the the density with which um, Hamilton's like lyrics and, and whatnot happen. If Hamilton happened at the speed of any other show, it would be a four to five hour show. <laughs> um, but because oh, yes. because it's it's using the, the language of hip hop, using the speed and rhythm of hip hop, um, y- they fit so much into so little time. Um, that uh, that you you're you don't realize how overwhelmed you are by the words and the story that you're getting the exposition that you're getting throughout the show is is incredible compared to ninety nine to one hundred percent of other Broadway shows. So um, so it's definitely something that makes it even harder to like translate into you know Japanese or not let alone like the fact that it's so ingrained to one culture's very like historical kind of like context like outside of like oh like the people across the pond in england know their side of the story so they might enjoy you know part of this story but like even uh i think uh i think i was talking with joe whose mom or something was english or some like somebody i was talking to recently was like yeah uh but like my mom was british and so she didn't know a lot of like the american revolution history because you know it's not told as like 
the founding of of England. It's it's just another one of the colonies that England lost, basically. Sure. Um, yeah. So it, it's not this like big impactful like everybody learns about this in you know world history kind of uh, uh, kind of like especially not to the detail of Hamilton here. So um, yeah, those are those are all elements that um, I think are are fascinating. That I, I look forward to seeing how more and more audiences are able to be exposed to a show like this um, through kind of that, uh, the the opening up of uh, of the languages and, and throwing in extra subtitles or, you know, voice tracks or something like that on top of it. Sure. Um, any uh, any other favorite moments or scenes or anything you want to kind of touch on before we, uh, we wrap up here? Um, you know... I love the blocking when he's saying about being in the eye of the hurricane, just because it's a literal blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that always like hits very nicely. Um, that the finale was just like so perfect. Um, his final monologue and then the ending with Eliza. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just all so good. What? Uh, so this is something we've touched touched on in a couple of the episodes, and I'm curious. Mm. Given you are the most theater the, theatrically versed person I've uh, I've had on the show to talk about this so far, what um what is your interpretation of the ending? Um, specifically, Eliza kind of looking out and gasping. What do you think is is happening in that moment? Um, you know, I have read all the discourse um from the actors um and from you know Philippa Sue in it and how she had mentioned that it meant something different to her every night. Um, for me, it was a very big buildup of like, it felt like all show Hamilton was just using Eliza and he certainly loved her, but she was also, uh, an emotional crutch and she was sort of easy to maybe not manipulate, but easy to use. Um, and her last, her last song and her last monologue is so heartbreaking to me because, because she keeps singing about, you know will this be enough for people to remember me for my story to be written? Um, because she has to work so much harder than him because she's a woman and because Hamilton is loud and there's all these factors and she's trying so hard once he's gone so that she'll, they'll remember him as a good person because she did all this stuff. Um, it's like the woman behind the man, um, working twice as hard for twice as long. Um, and, and so at the end of that, her gasp, like at first it was like, to me, it, it was that she was seeing that she was remembered. Um, not even necessarily that he was remembered well, but that like everything she did was worth it um, because the story was told. Mm. That was what resonated the most with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and reading reading the cast description and Philip Sue's description, like I said, um, I loved that sometimes she interpreted it as like finally seeing the audience, Mm -hmm. um, that it was a fourth wall break. I think that's super clever. And I think I could definitely see that as an interpretation of Mm -hmm. it. Um, and as a very literal, like realization that the story is being told is like seeing your audience, seeing that you're seeing the people that are receiving your story. Um, I really liked that as an interpretation. So, yeah, I, uh, I hadn't done it. I have not looked into any of that, like, uh, the discourse that's out there on that, but that's, that is more or less in line with like my, my reading of it. And it's something again, Mm -hmm. that like I, have, even having seen the show a couple times, like I didn't get that until watching it on Disney Plus the first time and just seeing the emotion, uh, like the, the flood of emotion kind of come over her face. And so, yeah, for me, it yeah. very much was like the whole idea of who lives, who dies, who tells your story being, 
you know, um, uh, like every other founding father's story gets told, but Hamilton hadn't been. Like Hamilton was a was a figure who had been, you know, largely lost to time compared to these other, you know, Goliaths around him as the as the founding fathers, and so the sure. idea that that Eliza had put so much work into this, it was like a, uh, for me seeing that moment at the end is like her overwhelmed with emotion at seeing the audience that is seeing his story told now here in 20, yeah. 2016 or 2020 now or whatever the case may be like the, and, and just being like, like that, that moment of like, I did it. It, it worked like I, I, I yeah, I'd like, that's, that's, that's how I interpret it. And, um, and, and I love that, I love that element of it, but I like, I love that it's also like other people can read into it in different ways. Other people can perform it different ways and have like a different thing in their head when they're doing it. And I, I love that. Like, I love that aspect of theater that a lot of times stuff can be open to interpretation, especially like a moment like that, that isn't like, it's not tied to the plot of the, you know, the show or anything. It's just a purely emotional moment and you can, mm-hmm. you can take away from it any number of different feelings and, and emotions from it. Um, or any any different like interpretations and readings um so yeah and, and it's like every time it, like that moment gets me her her um wail when philip dies breaks me every time um yeah i got yeah it. it's it, like philip is just a, a a total rock star in uh in this show as eliza um uh and and yeah it's it's interesting because cam uh and i talked about burn um when he was on the show because burn is is traditionally like one of his very favorite songs and like he can listen to it on the album and he'll tear up and cry every time kind of thing but watching her mm-hmm. performance of it and how strong she is trying to be throughout that song like mm-hmm. it cu- it created a disconnect for him and he didn't have that like emotional release in that moment but when philip dies he lost it um and sure. and uh and it was i was like interesting in part because like he clearly had it staged in a different way in his head like he 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 almost wanted her to be more emotional in that. And, and I think there is a lot of like power and strength in how much she's trying to keep it together while her, her world is falling apart around her. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I loved it as a, as a decision. Um, I love that she didn't break down and then she decided like, if this is how he wants to be like, fine, do it, leave me out of mm-hmm. it. And I thought it was to me, it was more powerful and I can see how it wouldn't be. Um, because it's such a crushing thing, but I loved that choice. Yeah. And my, like the, I think the thing I brought up with him either, either on the episode or maybe after we were talking about it or something like that is like, it's a really tough tightrope to walk, especially in, in, you know, how women can easily be perceived one way or another on stage. So like if she had, you know, if, if she hadn't been as strong and stoic as she is in that number, immediately people just jump to, Oh, she's being too emotional or something like that. It's like, Fuck, fuck oh, that double standard. Yeah. Um, but well, it becomes it, we're back to sexism. Exactly, absolutely, and and so yeah, it's it becomes like you have to. It, it is that like notion of yeah, you like to to not fall into that trap of letting the audience think that you have to work that much harder. And so it is a it is mm-hmm. absolutely a, um, a testament to her her ability. And, and she unfortunately is like the what the one cast member that. Uh, like one of the cast members that didn't win the Tony, like is very incredibly, like, I think she lost to whoever had played the lead in the color purple revival that year, I think is what, um, what had happened versus like Angelica won the Tony. Um, 
Leslie Odom Jr. won the Tony and uh, David Diggs, I believe, won uh, Supporting Actor. Um, and then Lynn well, of course, won for like writing and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, sure. So, yeah, of the acting categories, Philippa Sue was the only one that didn't win the, the Tony. And it's just like, oh, that's that's like such a crime. like in part. I get it because Color Purple is, you know, also a very powerful show and, and is like like the, the character of Eliza is much more a supporting character in Hamilton versus the lead character of Color Purple. So I like I get it. It's just very unfortunate. <laughs> um, sure. And uh, and and yeah, it's 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 one of those that like I'm sure people will go back and be like, how did how did she not win the Tony for this for years and years to come? <laughs> um, oh yeah. But yeah, it's 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 an incredibly powerful and and touching performance and and in so many of those little moments that like don't translate to the the album that that you completely lose on the cast recording. Um, mm. So I I loved it. So glad glad they they resonated with you as well. Any uh, any last moments you want to touch on before we dive into grading the show? Um, I don't think I, so. I have so many just like tiny little notes written down of like the one lyric that like the emotion stands out or like a reference I caught. It's just so full of like beautiful small little like breaths. Basically, yeah. No, and I, I mean, if you want to share some of those, I'd love to. I'd love to hear like because you, as, as as we touched on, like you when you were going through and watching it, you were taking notes as, as you watched. And, and so I'm curious what some of those notes are, what, what stood out to you, even if they are like little small things, just cause like, I'm, I'm fascinated sure. if, if, if the audience isn't, I don't care for me. What, what, <laughs> what were you, what, what were those little moments that really jumped out at you? Um, I have a note that says one last time is a revelation, which I stand mm-hmm. by. Um, I loved that song before anyway, yep. but seeing it performed was fantastic. Um, the way that, the actor whose name escapes me, but he like the way he riffs at the end of that song. Yeah. Christopher um, Jackson. Thank you. Yes. Uh, but it drives home why this show was so accessible to so many people because that like the way he goes off on that, the end of that song is not how you expect a Broadway song to sound like that sounded like a radio song. Mm-hmm. Um, how he just like takes it and runs with it and owns the moment. Um, that song is incredible. So I had that written down. Um, uh, there's so much foreshadowing in this show that like just kind of breaks your heart when you already know it's coming. Yeah. Um, I have a note that just says the boy is mine is a brandy reference. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's from Helpless, yeah. but I don't remember when it came up. I just remember being like, oh shit, yeah. Yeah, the yeah Helpless we've touched on is um, uh, in the in the Hamilton the Revolution. Like Helpless is absolutely like so heavily inspired by those like R and B like hip hop mm-hmm. duets of like the nineties in particular, like um, when, when Hamilton comes in is like, as long as I'm alive, Eliza, like that's absolutely him doing Ja Rule. Uh, and and it versus <laughs> like in the Ja Rule and a, and Aaliyah number for that, like was big when I was growing up. And the, mm-hmm. the wonderful full circle moment is on the Hamilton mixtape album that they did. Ja Rule came in and performed that part in the, the helpless cover that they did. I don't remember who, who they bring in as a, uh, as kind of the, the uh, Eliza character, but it was very much like, Oh, that's really cool that like they got him to come in and do it. Um, yeah. Uh, because it's, it was so heavily influenced and inspired by him doing that kind of stuff. But yeah, like Brandy, yeah. Brandy and, and, uh, and Monica and that, like the, all of those kinds of songs of that era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the show takes so much inspiration from that style of music. Um, and it's so brilliant. Um, it's just so well done. 
The Reynolds pamphlet song is another one, which uh, is not on the album, I don't think. Yeah. Or if it is, I just like, it is. skipped it consistently. Yep. Um, it's there. But that was f- so fun to watch mm-hmm. um, because it's such a party, basically. Um, not for Hamilton, but for everybody else, just watching all of them react. And, like, it It seems it seemed more musical to me watching it than it ever did hearing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, what did you think? Uh, so we touched on King George. Uh, one of the things you don't get just listening to the album is, like, after he sings his last song, he just kind of goes off and sits on stage and, and kind of enjoys watching things. And then, again, in Reynolds' pamphlets, he comes out and he's dancing. You know, he's basically dancing on Hamilton's grave as well kind of thing alongside sure. Jefferson and Madison and, and all them. Um, what did you think of uh, – was that was that like a fun surprise to see that, you know, it's not just he comes on, he sings his song, and then he walks off every time? Yeah, it was, it was so fun. And it was so funny just because, like, at that point, like, King George, like – Obviously, Hamilton is a big dude in politics at the time, but, like, King George is just there for the chaos of it all, and I gotta respect mm-hmm. that. As an agent of chaos myself, I love that he's just like, yeah, burn it down, whatever, I don't care. Whoever it is, ruin their <laughs> yeah. lives. It's like, yeah, all right, sure, I get Y'all it. Y'all rebelled against me? I don't give a fuck anymore. Have fun. Yeah. Go crazy. Who's next? <laughs> yeah, he did not care. That was great. Now I'm fighting with France and with Spain. Fuck you guys. You guys can let your, <laughs> let it all burn yeah. down for all I care. <laughs> burn in hell yeah you know i get it so it was great yeah. that's one of the ones i like i i remember seeing that and like that being one of the ones that surprised me because i hadn't like uncovered that in my in my pre seeing it live kind of research kind of thing and and uh, it was just such a, a joy to see that character just have those extra little moments compared to you know what could be very much like a come on come off they're you know the crowd pleasing song kind of things and uh but mm-hmm. the the fact that they get to like revel in the chaos of those moments is absolutely a ton of fun yeah i agree any other fun notes um i have some lines written down that i thought were great um obviously everyone loved dying is easy Li- young man living is harder mm-hmm. um that's a brilliant line and there's some really brilliant lines in this. yeah and, there, and that that gets um, echoed a little bit with like um winning is easy young man governing is harder yeah yeah uh i loved and i don't again this is something like i don't know if it's in the recording and i just didn't notice it or if it's something that didn't make it but like they do um still alive and it's quiet uptown which as like a sequence just completely tore me down it's so emotional Mm -hmm. it's so fraught with just like despair um and then like jefferson pops up and he's like can we get back to politics please and it's such a good like lightens the whole mood and i was like wow i feel great yeah that's Um, yeah that's definitely on the album such a perfect line Um, i like i always um i will always like eight, the the election of eighteen hundred is one of those like random numbers that just like constantly will just randomly pop into my head, and it, it always is like, like I'll just be walking along and I'll just be like, "Can we get back to politics, please, yo?" <laughs> uh, and I like I'll just kind of go into the the song from yeah, there. Yeah, it's it's so good. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was great. Um, I loved the irony because obviously Hamilton and Burr are so like at odds the whole time, and they're supposed to be foils. Yeah. Um, and in the end when they're like, uh, politely, um, <laughs> yes. kind of digging at each other, um, your obedient servant, somewhere yeah. In, yeah, yeah, a dot, a dot burr, um, somewhere in there, Hamilton makes a point of like, you stand only for yourself where it's like, I know what Jefferson stands for and I hate it all, but at least I know what it mm-hmm. is. Um, 
which is a good point. Yep. But I, it's so funny here. Like, you stand only for yourself. But he's made that clear the whole show that, like, that's kind of what he's about, too. Um, and so the irony of that moment, I think, is really beautiful. Yeah. To me, anyway. Um, because you see, you know, time and time again, he's rejecting his family and the people around him because he can't throw away his shot and, like, his chance to, to be in history and to to be something for him. Yeah, his legacy. And and that's exactly what Burr was doing. Burr was just trying to be, you know, like, more more patient about it. And he finally does the Hamilton way, and Hamilton's like, nah, fuck you, you're so selfish, whatever. Like, I don't like that's, you. Yeah, I mean, like, the, oh. there's the, the, the great irony there being that the entire show, Burr's whole uh, uh, sentiment is wait for it, wait for it. And Hamilton is constantly, mm-hmm. I'm not going to throw away my shot. And then he when he... When he throws away his shot and when Burr acts, that leads to Hamilton's mm-hmm. death. And Burr's like ruining yep. his history yep. um, or who tells his story or whatever. So, yeah, uh, brilliant stuff like that. Um, that covers most of my notes. I have in here, um, and this is actually a, probably a good question for you since you're also a theater person. Mm-hmm. Um, often I find that like the difference between. There are many differences between a cast recording and a live show. But one of them for me is that, like, um, singing will often suffer in a live show for the physicality of, like, the dance and the blocking and also the emotion within Mm it. Um, Do you think it suffered here or do you think it benefited? I think it it benefits more than it suffers, Um, especially, like, given just the the talent (coughs) – excuse me – the talent on display. Like, the the biggest – thing that was jarring to me that we touched on i think back in logan's episode was um i after listening to the album for years and years and years i was not aware that leslie odom had like such a pronounced lisp so when when he has that for like so much of his song like that was jarring to me but at the same time i was like i don't like i don't care because he's so he's such a compelling and interesting person to watch that the physicality of of stuff and and especially in like some of the bigger you know show-stopping numbers like i mean you you mentioned earlier like david diggs prancing around the stage and stuff um like he's doing that at the same time as he's rapping incredibly quick in a french accent and still enunciating everything like they they're doing it all and and very little ends up suffering as a result yeah like the 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 album might be a little bit like more polished and a little bit cleaner, um, probably most notably in Burr's performance. But I think that getting to see Burr emote and Burr react like more than makes up for the slight variance in quality that that you get from album to to this. Um, in particular, one uh, just going off of kind of even um, uh, your last note about um, kind of the two of them like playing off one another and, and the election of 1800, like one of my favorite Burr moments in the show is his reaction to Hamilton choosing Jefferson. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, emotion just dropping on his face as this person that he's always viewed as a friend sides against him um, in his, you know, greatest ambition. Um, is like heartbreaking and he um, like immediately has to turn that back on and put his smile on and go talk about like, I look forward to being your vice president and stuff. And like that just, that doesn't come across at all on the album. It's like, clearly that would be a a moment that hits you, but getting to see it, um, you know, makes it 
completely different in performance. So I I think uh, and and given that like he can still go out there and do like the room where it happened and do this crazy all this crazy movement and stuff and it's not like the the singing quality isn't dipping or dropping at all um, is just a testament to you know what what great caliber performers they were on Broadway. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think even places where it does maybe dip tonally or like in terms of breath support and all that tricky technical stuff, like it, the performance is so evocative that you don't need it to be flawless. You just need it to make you feel something. Yeah. At the end I mean, of the again, day. like which is kind of what performing the, is. The the fact that they did like the fact that King George does just drool and spit, and you just see it. Like that's that's another one of those moments where it's like if, if this were you know, a more, uh, if this were a different show, if this were like the Newsies, you know, show that they, they put out, um, that is also (laughs) on Disney plus like that removes those little elements. Like you might occasionally see like spit flying across the stage or something, but like they do enough takes or they do enough, they record enough things that they will put in like a good take. And the fact that they, they leave in something like that, that is like a, um, you know, what, otherwise could be considered like an impurity of of the show or something like that is is just like it it's another moment that's like more interesting and obviously like twitter you know blew up about it and kind of stuff and they were like oh my god he's so like he's so drooly and stuff um uh but it's like i like that's that's the reality especially if you're doing a show like that yeah and and being a broadway performer trying to sing to the back of the house and stuff like it is Mm -hmm. it is incredibly easy to i mean even like i so in my acting kind of background, I never really did too much on the on the musical side of things. I was much more of a straight play kind of performer, um, in part because I don't I I don't I don't have the confidence in my own singing voice to like ever really feel like I should audition for a musical, um, and because I have a very low range, so I can't ever hit like the big mm. tenor notes or whatever you need for most of these songs. Um, yeah, not many parts for e- exactly. Uh, it's usually like the villain of the show or something like that. Like I could I could do a I could do a killer Judd Fry in Oklahoma. And that's about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, but like, uh, so even doing like stage play, like, you know, I've, I've been in Shakespeare a number of times and stuff. And I will absolutely, if I'm, you know, in the throes of a speech or something, I'm, I'm trying to get it out to the back row. And a lot of times that includes, you know, whatever saliva is building up in my, in my mouth at the moment. I don't, you know, you don't, you're, you're getting the words out with the, you know, the fury and passion or whatever. And sometimes that includes the spit as well. Um, and I know a lot of Broadway like performers that kind of talk about that. Um, ben Platt, uh, who, who was uh, Evan Hansen and Dear Evan Hansen. I remember seeing an interview he did with um, Stephen Colbert talking like talking about, well, yeah, it's a great show because Dear Evan Hansen like is such an emotional show that like very early on you're like sobbing and weeping and that is completely like draining out your nasal cavities, which makes it really easy to have like that great full voice because the he- your head is basically hollow. But the flip side is it's you know you were drooling or snotting and and spitting and stuff, and it's just like it's an ugly thing that you know the people in the back row don't see. They don't like they can't tell the difference. They can only hear <laughs> the great quality of voice and stuff. And so like I always think about that like that sentiment uh, as well in in kind of the the imperfections of theater a little bit. Sure. It's, it's a commitment for sure. Um, and I would say too, the accent that Groff puts on that, like bizarre, like not quite British, just sort of 
maybe posh and mm-hmm. kind of silly sounding um, is all like those really long vowels, which just elongates your jaw. So like the drool is just going to fall right exactly, out of his yeah. mouth, basically. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and yeah, it helps that he can like, because he's even said like, yeah, that wasn't, I wasn't doing that because King George is mad. I was doing that because that's just how I perform. Like, if you go back and watch, like, some of his Spring Awakening mm-hmm. clips, you probably would see some of that same kind of sentiment. Um, <laughs> Which definitely doesn't fit yeah. Spring Awakening. No, um, but... yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's always one of those things, like, I love that people are getting exposed to Jonathan Groff now in via this. Um, because... You know, one of the travesties of of the original Frozen was the fact that like Jonathan Groff didn't have any songs. Uh, it's like why why oh, yeah. like you have this Broadway caliber performer and you give him a song about reindeer and that's it. In in Frozen, fortunately they you know fixed that in Frozen too. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, like I love that people are now getting to see Jonathan Groff in this light as well. Um, so yeah, again, sh- shout well, out people to people. People saw him in Glee. I, I mean, think, yeah, which is unfortunate because that was maybe not his best role. Either, yeah, but. It was a pretty good interview. Yeah, Glee was certainly, like, um, I mean, for the people, like, I think by the time he came around to Glee, I was like, all right, like, I'm a musical theater guy, I'm over Glee. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah, it was certainly after my time. So many of Ryan Murphy's shows are just like, oh, you have, like, a great idea here, and then you just completely go overboard with it, and I just couldn't stick around with it. Um, But, like, yeah, I I loved that that was a show that, yeah, brought in him to kind of reunite with uh, Leah Michelle there. Um, Cause I, like I knew both of them from the spring awakening soundtrack basically. Yeah. Um, and how yeah. cool of a show that was. So um, yeah. Uh, any other moments or questions or anything from your, your little notes? Um, you know what? A question for you. I talked about this with Logan actually like a, a while ago. We were talking about Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, who would you write a musical about if you had to pick a political figure? Because it seems ah. it seems like such a weird um, intersection, um, mm-hmm. and we had like there have been political, uh, not political. Well, there've been political musicals, but like musicals about politicians, bloody bloody Andrew Jackson and stuff like that. But like, yeah. who would you uh, who would you pick? Who would you write so, uh, a musical about? So it's interesting because I I, I was gonna say I like. I don't know if I like I I'm certainly not the history buff that Logan is. Mm. So I like that honestly wouldn't be my like my my go-to topic probably. Like I I would want like the the dream musical that I've always had in the back of my mind is is more akin to like a Ready Player 1 where I like I just want to bring in a musical where all of like my favorite video game characters come together and have to perform a musical. Oh, okay. But, I'd watch but it. But I but to to the historical context, I was going I would say actually like I as I've seen Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, we did it. We performed it here when I was at Phoenix Theater. Um, they performed it. It's it's one of the very few musicals I've gone out and auditioned for, um, and uh, I at least got a callback for it. I didn't end up getting cast, nice. but I was like happy to get the callback, yeah. and I, I was more happy because the director was a friend of mine who I'd worked with many many years in in the straight theater world. He was doing um, he was or straight play world, and he was doing uh, he was directing the musical, and um, our. The, his stage manager for the show, who I had worked with as like her assistant stage manager many, many times, she sent me a text after my audition that was basically him texting her, like it was a screenshot of their text conversation being like, holy shit, did you know Trevor can sing? And I was like, aw, I <laughs> yeah. definitely can't, but thank you. <laughs> like nah. I, I, was, I, was, I was very moved because I sang, I, I want to say I sang uh, Give Me Novocaine from American Idiot. Um, <laughs> uh as as like my audition song mm-hmm. and uh uh but uh so bloody bloody andrew jackson is definitely because 
they did that i want to say 2014 here in phoenix and i think that is a show that was ahead of its time and would have like such a different like there would be a different perspective like the revival of bloody bloody andrew jackson now in both a post hamilton world and a post trump world would be a fascinating like play to see so i, I kind of just want to see that again and see see that in the context of of here all this stuff um but uh, yeah i'm trying to think if if i wanted to go with like another historical figure if there are any that like really jump out to me and i don't yeah i don't know like who 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 was your who's your pick or who was logan's pick uh well i'll say uh logan picked bill clinton because logan is weirdly obsessed with bill clinton that sounds right uh-huh um I picked JFK because I'm from Massachusetts and he's like a hometown boy. But I also think yeah. Kennedy's presidency was fascinating. The whole Kennedy story is fascinating. Um, I've, the Kennedys are a cursed family, and I think that's a really interesting idea for a musical because there's so much content to it. Um, yeah. Or like the whole family is cursed. Um, but yeah, I, I picked Kennedy. If I, yeah. had to, I don't, I don't know enough about. I'm not a history person. You know, my dream musical mm-hmm. is like probably based on an album or something like yeah but but i i would do kennedy because he seems like I mean, he has a lot to talk about you know for a musical i mean that yeah that's i mean that's that's another one uh, like i guess like historical figure uh i i would certainly be intrigued by like an fdr kind of show um especially oh, sure. in the in the staging of that i think you could i think you could make some really cool decisions mm-hmm. based off that but also like i mean i'm I'm much more fascinated these days by stories that I, I haven't heard or, or interpretations or something like one of the ones we, and it's, it, it, it's a weird leap or something, but like we talked a couple weeks ago, um, uh, Josh Brown, who they do a, a podcast called the castle vault, which is another Disney plus podcast weirdly. Um, uh, but they're, what they've been doing is they've been going chronologically through Disney animated films and they were around hunchback of Notre Dame, Notre Dame mm. at the time. And I introduced him to this production that um, the I want to say Fifth Avenue Theater in Portland did, I don't know, five, ten years ago, something like that, um, whenever they did Hunchback. And they cast Quasimodo as a deaf actor. And um, so he's signing the songs, and one of the gargoyles is basically singing them. And there's a, a beautiful video of out there um, of that kind of dynamic happening. And it just put, like such a different lens onto that show that even that like makes me want to say like, I would love to see a Helen Keller kind of musical or something like that. Some, some kind of like very, you know, a a character that we haven't seen their voice and, and what that kind of, how that could be interpreted and seeing it, you know, with a, a a actor with that kind of um, uh, ability uh, or disability, I guess. Um, Another one of my favorite plays that I've seen in recent years uh, oh crap! I don't remember the name of the show now, but it it was a it's a straight play that centers around um, uh, a deaf you know deaf actor and the a deaf deaf person and the when the show is done well, it's done because they bring in a deaf actor to sign and you have basically subtitles letting the audience know what's being said, but the actors themselves are signing out the the kind of dialogue and um and like he he has a girlfriend who is going deaf and so she's kind of and and it like even delves into like the the 
the hierarchy of deafness and how you know people who were deaf by birth look down on people who you know became deaf over deaf over time or something like that and um and you know this guy's family you know who speaks and and doesn't have the the disability but had to learn how to you know sign to communicate with their son and all this stuff and it's just like a, a very fascinating kind of story that i don't as somebody who you know incredibly privileged in pretty much every aspect of my life, I love getting to see and experience those stories that I wouldn't otherwise experience. Um, I don't know if you saw the movie last year, Peter and Butter Falcon. Um, uh, it was a, a I want to say like basically the the character uh, the main character is uh, is a is a character and actor with Down syndrome, mm-hmm. and and he's trying to you know break out of a like his his parents are dead or something like that, and he's trying to break out of the group home that they that the state has put him in because the state doesn't know what to do with him without you know a relative but he is in love with like 80s backyard wrestling kind of thing and so he goes out and like he watches this like 80s wrestling promo thing every day and and wants to go to this wrestling school and so he breaks out of the the group home meets up with Shia LaBeouf and they basically go on a Mark Twain-esque kind of journey to go find um, and, and you know, and, and pursue his dream. And just, like, I went into that, that film not even knowing that about it. I just heard people like Joey Noel say, like, this is a really good movie. You should go see it. Yeah. And, and, and watching it and being like, this is another story that I've never been exposed to. And I love getting introduced to those kinds of stories because, again, I've seen more more stories about people that look like me, white guys, you know, privileged middle-class white guys than I ever need to see again. Sure. Like, and that's a super I'm, I'm okay when I see them, but, but like <laughs> I, and, and I can certainly personally identify with them more, but like, I love getting introduced to other stories. So, so characters like that, I mean, like, like hell, actually here's, here's one I will go with. Um, I remember in high school reading um, Malcolm X's autobiography and I would love maybe a, a, almost Hamilton like show um, because Hamilton obviously is it centers as much around Aaron Burr as it does around Hamilton basically Mm -hmm. Um, and so I would love like a show that is Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and their you know their kind of different ideologies in the civil rights movement Um, like that would be fascinating to me I think Um, so yeah and and it's certainly a story I'm not going to tell so uh, (laughs) uh, so I would love to see you know somebody who can appropriately tell that story, you know, an Ava DuVernay or somebody kind of jump out there and, and, uh, and, and absolutely take the reins on a story like that. Cool. Um, so let's dive into, uh, the report card, uh, you know, as, as we do every, uh, on every one of these shows, we, uh, dive in and grade the, uh, the film or whatever in, uh, uh, scale of a plus to F. So where do you rate Hamilton, the musical? Oh man. Uh, it's got to be like an A, man. It's so well executed. It's so unique. Um, you know, and Lin-Manuel Miranda has done stuff not like this before, but like In the Heights was his first like semi-big mm-hmm. one. And that was a similar concept where like it's non-traditional Broadway, yep. um, which it's I very... think is so huge um, in, mm-hmm. in getting new people to watch and to listen and to telling new stories. Um, because you can't tell new stories with the same format. Um, it, it is so good. My biggest issue with it again is like the sexism that you see in it. Um, yep. just because I don't think it had to happen. Uh, and it's, 
as a woman maybe just exhausting to see over and over again and and to see like like i said the word whore is like not cool um we don't have to throw it in there but on the whole it is phenomenally well executed the music is stunning um so i would call it an a yeah that's solid um it it i've i've been on the a plus train for it uh all along but i like i appreciate the a especially given like the rationale behind that yeah it is like it i can't i can't imagine again from my place of privilege how frustrating it might be to see a show as celebrated as this and to have such like a a glaring flaw like that um uh and just constantly have to be like reminded of that in the and it's just kind of like brushed aside as like that that i can't imagine how frustrating that could be um uh just as like a a recurring thing um as 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 it relates to the show um because yeah it 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 doesn't add anything of consequence to that so it is a yeah must be a frustrating um just element of the show yeah um well extra credit if you other suggestions for uh for if you do like hamilton um the the two that hamilton uh, uh very much or that disney plus is very much promoting to people right now are a couple of uh little zoom interviews slash documentaries on the show uh one being the undefeated presents hamilton in depth and then the other being hamilton history has its eyes on you uh highly recommend both of those they're 30 to 45 minutes each i think um uh and then i also i love that like i love that for whatever reason disney plus basically changed their algorithm away from this but in that first weekend uh, the first thing that jumped out at you was Sound of Music. Oh, if you liked Hamilton, go watch the Sound of Music. Go watch the whitest of the white shows. Oh. Um, uh, so Sound of Music was on there. Annie is another one. Newsies the Broadway Musical is Newsies the Broadway Musical is another one that like while I I love I think it has incredible performances. It also really only has like two women roles mm. in that show of note, uh, and it's it's one of those I'm just like man that is a so well, I would say like the girl, and I would say the uh, not Mama Maybell. Is it Mama Maybell? I don't know the the woman that owns like the the brothel sure. that that Jack Riley kind of like hangs out at or whatever. <laughs> I w- so th- those are the two, and then you have like yeah, a couple a couple very miscellaneous people like the Pulitzer's secretary or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's like watching it is it is like man. I wish there were more women in the show and I wish the balance were just a better balance. Yeah. Um, cause it's, it's frustrating, especially growing up. Like I remember in every community I've ever been a part of, there are so many more women yes. of like, especially more talented women in, in theater than there are the men in theater. And so it becomes incredibly frustrating how few roles there are for them compared to the, the just swarms and swarms of roles. And again, that like so much of that comes from, white men kind of telling those stories and and just like history telling those stories and it's boom it's it's a whole bunch of guys and the girl is like the ingenue or the sassy mother character or Mm -hmm. something like that like there are the the very stereotypical female roles that that i wish like that's uh, even as like a white guy that's one of the the ones that i've wanted to see kind of broken down so much more um uh in in recent years um and newsies is like the poster child for that because like hey look at all these guys are dancing and the one girl in the scene with them (laughs) that is that that like they make a point of basically being like look she's the one girl here everybody 
Um, it's such an easy cop out to be like, well, it's a historical show, so it has to feature yeah. men because women were not invented till the 1950s. Like exactly, yeah. They were there and they probably did stuff, but men write the history books, so how would you know? Um, but, yeah. You know. Yeah, more women yeah. in shows, please. Yep, absolutely. Um, other uh, options there are celebration of music from Coco, Encore, Mary Poppins, High School Musical, the musical, the series, and the just the film version of Newsies with Christian Bale. Yeah, Christian Bale. Um, in addition to the uh, the oak ham for hams that uh, that I mentioned earlier, one of the uh, videos that I always like to share uh, is the Lin Manuel Miranda performing at the White House Poetry Jam in May of two thousand nine, so eleven years ago now. Um, and he basically performs what is almost the like final version of Alexander Hamilton, um, hot off the heels of the success of In the Heights. He was invited to the White House um, as kind of one of their you know marquee performers there and he kind of debuted alexander hamilton um and it's it's alarming to see like how like how he how clear his vision for that was even back then um that that it changes so minutely um from then till now basically um but yeah, that's uh, that's gonna do it for the uh, the extra credit uh, extracurriculars. You watching anything else on Disney Plus these days, Jazz? You know, I don't have a lot of time to watch things, um, which I've kind of talked about just because I work at six in the morning most days, um, so that's mm-hmm. kind of a bizarre schedule. I have looked into it though. I know The Greatest Showman is coming to Disney Plus in like a week and a half, um, mm, and yep. I never saw that in theaters. And it does seem up my alley, being that it is a musical. So that's something I'll probably <laughs> check out. That's yeah. That's another one, especially in the in the context of the conversation of Hamilton. It's like, yeah, that's another one that takes a lot of liberties about its central character. Sure. Yeah. Um, P.T. Barnum, probably a great guy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He's totally, totally presented, not... completely, one hundred percent historically accurate by Hugh Jackman. There. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, you know what? I've heard that the Sea of Monsters came to Disney Plus, and Trevor, we yeah. did an episode on Percy Jackson. And the yeah, Sea of Monsters yep. is the sequel, so maybe that's something we'll look into. Yep, we need to we need to sit down and uh, and circle back around to that here in the uh, <laughs> in the coming weeks once we once we've moved away from this uh, Hamilton miniseries. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to sitting down and and just figuring out uh, the all the all the flaws of that movie as well. I didn't even um, know they made a sequel, man. You didn't. No, you, didn't, no, you, you know that because we talked about Na- the fact that like Nathan Fillion isn't in the first one. Oh, I did know and, that. And, this is all a fever yeah. dream. That movie was a fever yeah. dream. I've blocked it. <laughs> exactly. Completely. Like you, you watched it once and you were like, never again. No, we will never speak of this again. That sounds right. Um, okay. We haven't talked. Uh, I don't think you and I have talked since the uh, since kind of the news broke that um, that he's doing. He has actually met with and, and has confirmed now. Um, a, a Percy Jackson series is in the works. Mm. Um, you excited for that? I'm guessing. I have been screaming since then. Actually, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm so excited. I hope that it comes out well, and I am. I want to see so badly. Like I want it to be true to the books. Um, I want to see not necessarily better casting, but like at least casting that looks closer to, you know, 11 years old or however they are when the books start. Like I have such high hopes, and hopefully they are not dashed. We will see. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh as for me, I've been watching uh I watched Moana recently. I rewatched that. Um uh and it was it was fun like because that has, you know, of course some Hamilton ties with mm-hmm. Lin-Manuel Miranda writing the music for it and Christopher Jackson is the singing voice of Moana's father. So it was fun just hearing, you know, George Washington in that in that <laughs> show. Yeah. Um and it's just like that's like that is a uh, like 
that's another one that I, I love that kids are growing up with that as a movie to go to and watch um, because Moana is such like a strong female character yeah. um, that doesn't take doesn't take the rock's shit and <laughs> and you know she she is she is coming of age and and wrestling with her own like insecurities but it's not like nowhere in that movie is like it about oh Moana needs a man to get by or anything like that and I love that that is I love that we've that we have kids that are growing up with that era of Disney yeah um uh in a, in a way that um you know my generation did not and your generation did not um so uh yay for <laughs> yay for Disney finally becoming a little more progressive in in what they should um but yeah, uh, so that's going to do it for this week's episode of That D Plus Show. Thank you, uh, Jazz, for joining me to discuss Hamilton. Um, it's it, uh, yeah. Ever since you know singing, um, uh, singing in Alex's car on the way to the the train station in the airport, um, I've I've looked forward to being able to really sit down and just kind of dive into Hamilton with you and talk about it. So I'm glad we were able to to, to find the time in your busy schedule to make it work. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Yeah, you can follow Jazz at Jazz underscore Foster. Anything you want to give a shout out to, Jazz? Um, I just wrote a piece ranking the NHL mascots. Mm-hmm. They're all horrifying, so really it's a mute point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, up on the heels of that, Logan has told me that now I have to do it for every sport. So maybe we'll see some more terrible mascot rankings in the future. I yeah, I I I know so little about the NHL that like when. When uh, when you put that in drafts, I was like, "This is the one that the Grizzly is on, right?" And so, yeah, sure enough, I got to I got to Grizzly in there. I was like, "Okay, yep, okay." Logan. I don't know any of these other ones. I didn't even know the Arizona one really. I, I was like, "Dude's what? cute." Like the the air the I was like the Arizona like I was like, "What even are, is, is our hockey team?" Oh, that's right, it's the Coyotes. Okay, the so I'm guessing it's a Coyote of some type of some type. And and so yeah, I, like I basically looked through and I looked for Grizzly and then I looked for wherever Arizona was in your in your list and I was like, "Okay, mm-hmm. like." Arizona made the top 10 cool but yeah then like once you added the pictures to it I was like oh I mean it's not saying a lot that that Arizona made the top 10 because of the the horror shows of everything Mm -hmm. else Logan was so mad at me when he edited that he was like how could you you, like you talk all the time about how much you hate Grady because I do hate Grady he was like and you have him in the middle of the list I'm like yes and I know that however like they're all so bad he deserves to be there yeah it's a horror show you want you won me over when you started out with like, here are the ones that are worse than the team that doesn't have a mascot. <laughs> I was like, I, I love Jazz's interpretation of things. Like that. So, so shout out to, yeah, absolutely. Shout out to that piece. Go check that out on uh, that nerdy site. Uh, Jazz's uh, ranking of the monstrosities that are NHL mascots. Mm-hmm. Uh, you find that uh, you find me at Trevor J Starkey on Twitter, and I'm that, that, that's my plug. Is go watch, go check out Jazz's uh, <laughs> NHL piece as well. Uh, you can follow all of the latest from us over at That Nerdy Site. If you want to be part of the show, you can go to thatnerdysite.com slash dpluscast and let us know. Fill out a little Google form there. Let us know what Disney Plus offering you want to talk about. Or just hit me up on Twitter and be like, yo, I'd love to talk about Hamilton or any other Disney Plus offering. And uh, we'll try and collaborate and make that work. Uh, if you liked what you heard, please like, rate, review, subscribe, share the podcast with your friends and all that fun stuff. And if you do feel so inclined, you can always help support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash thatnerdysite. Thank you for joining us. As always, stay nerdy, be good to each other, and class dismissed.